Father, we just thank you for this day, that this is the day that you've made, that it's been created for us to experience you in this day. And Lord, today we pray you just open our eyes afresh into who you are, Jesus, and give us a fresh revelation of your love towards us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever met someone who turned out quite unexpectedly different when you got to know them? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was thinking about this and I was thinking, wow, over the past 50 years we've seen that political parties and opposition can turn out quite different in government. Uh, some better, some worse. Some meeting more than my expectations and some really, really disappointing. Uh, I've met people over the years who were quite underwhelming when I first met them, but as I got to know them, I've been completely surprised and amazed at what God has done in them and what God has done through them. I think one of the stories that I absolutely love is the story of uh, Gladys Alwood. Uh, some of you would have um, read about her, but uh, she was a young woman who wanted to go to China as a missionary, and so she applied to the missions organisation who basically controlled most of the UK missionaries at that time, and she was told that she just didn't have what it took. She was told that um, she was completely un unsuitable, she didn't have enough education, she couldn't do it. So what did she do? She went and she worked as a maid and she earned enough money to pay for her train fare so that she could get to China. She ended up in a uh, little inland city of Yangchen, which is a little south of Beijing, and it was a crossroads place for travellers. And so she, in the inn there, she would tell them stories about Jesus. And uh, then she uh, started an orphanage. And she, just did, and she just basically loved on people in that, um, in that city. It's interesting that uh, when the Japanese came in and attacked China and were moving through the inland parts, they had to vacate the, the city. The last recorded entry into the book of the city, the governor of the city, said that he and all of the city officials were going to become Christians because of the witness of Gladys Alwood. She is perhaps most famous, though, for leading a hundred children in a miraculous 27-day, 100-mile journey over the mountains on foot, dodging Japanese patrols. Uh, at the end of her life, Gladys Alwood wrote of herself, My heart is full of praise that one so insignificant uneducated and ordinary in every way could be used to his glory for the blessing of his people in poor, persecuted China. In 1957, um, Alan Burgess wrote a book about her. It was called The Small Woman. And he titled that because she was only five foot high. And um, it was condensed in the Reader's Digest and made into a movie called The End of the Sixth Happiness, uh, starring Ingrid Berman. And when um, Newsweek magazine reviewed the movie and summarised the plot, 
a reader who thought that the story was fiction wrote in to say, in order for a movie to be good, the story should be believable. Of course, her, her life was simply unbelievable. It started in apparent insignificance. And um, when I think about her, I, I think never, ever underestimate the potential of someone who is passionate about serving God. Why don't you turn to the person next year and just say, never underestimate the potential of someone who is passionate about serving God. I've had the privilege here in this congregation. Over the last 26 years of seeing young men and young women rise up from our kids' church and become mighty men and mighty women of God. But as I thought about this, I thought, before we become Christians, before we know Christ, Jesus is usually pretty insignificant in our lives. Jesus asked the disciple, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, um, still others, Jeremiah or, or one of the prophets. And a billion Muslims today will say, Jesus, yeah, he was a good man. Uh, yes, he was a prophet. Uh, God, no. The Jews will say, yeah, Jesus was a teacher. Messiah, no. Uh, the Mormons believe that Jesus was a pre-existent spirit, like all of us. And he was a man who achieved great things. Uh, Jehovah's Witness believe that Jesus was a God, but not almighty God. He was just, uh, and he wasn't the son of God. Uh, liberal theologians and humanists will exclaim, exemplary man, great example, divine son of God, savior from sin, no way. In Mark chapter 4, we read how the disciples were with Jesus in a boat heading across the lake of Galilee and the, Jesus was sleeping when a, a violent storm arose and nearly swamped the boat and the disciples woke Jesus up and said, Teacher, don't you care that we, um, that we are going to drown? And so Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind and he says to the waves, Quiet, be still, or peace, be still. Uh, then the wind dies down. And it's completely calm. And it says in verse 41 that the disciples were terrified, absolutely terrified. And they asked each other, who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And that reaction is, is not surprising because for most of them, most of those disciples, they only knew Jesus as rabbi and a teacher. When they had the call to follow him, for most of them, they were following a rabbi. They were following a teacher. And so they definitely hadn't recognized him 
as Lord and Saviour, and they hadn't surrendered their lives to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so they were absolutely terrified to see Jesus' power and his authority. But it's interesting, Peter was different. Uh, Jesus had met Peter with a miracle at his point of need. Uh, Dr. Luke in chapter 5 of the Gospel records how Peter and his partners had been fishing all night and they'd caught nothing. And uh, Jesus borrows their boat and uses it to teach from. And then afterwards, he, he said to Peter, he said, push out into the deep water, let down your nets for a catch. And, and um, Simon Peter says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break, so they signaled their partners and the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that the boats began to sink. Now, Penny and I have caught a few fish over the years, but we've never caught so many fish that the boat began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, it's interesting that he had a revelation of who Jesus was. When he saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. That, that miracle opened Simon up to recognize that Jesus wasn't just a good teacher, but he was Lord. And it says, for he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. But he wasn't just astonished. Something had happened on the inside. And, uh, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything and followed him. It's interesting that Peter and his two partners, James and John, became Jesus' inner circle. They were the three that ended up doing life with Jesus all the way through. But they first came to Jesus via a miracle at their point of need. And at that time, they had that revelation. They were absolutely convinced of who Jesus was. On another occasion when Jesus' disciples were out on the lake rowing all night, Jesus came walking to them on the water. And again, the disciples were absolutely terrified. They thought this was a ghost coming to them uh, on the water. But Peter cried out to Jesus and he said, If it's you, call me out onto the water and I'll come. And Jesus said to Peter, Come. So Peter stepped out of the boat and walked towards Jesus. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, well, how is it that the other disciples didn't behave the same way that Peter did? And it's obvious that Peter had that revelation of who Jesus was. The other disciples at that stage in their journey still hadn't recognized that Jesus was the Son of God. They still hadn't recognized that he was the Savior of the world. So when Peter recognizes that this is Jesus. It was easy for him then to say, well, look, Jesus, if you want me to walk on the water, I'll just step out and I'll walk. And so he steps out and he walks towards Jesus. And of course, those of you who've read that story will know that when he 
uh, sees the, the wind and the waves and everything, he starts to get a bit scared, and so he starts sinking. But the reality is he'd already walked on the water. He'd already stepped out, and he did that in response to Jesus saying, come. When Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? It's Peter who's had that revelation, who responds, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, son, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man. In other words, Simon, you didn't hear who I am from somebody else. Now, this was a revelation from my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The revelation of who Jesus is comes from God through the Holy Spirit to us. And that revelation is the building block of the church. Often, it's the miraculous that opens us up to receive that revelation, and that revelation leads to a changed life. You can't follow Jesus just with a head knowledge of who he is. You must be born again, and you must have the Holy Spirit living within you, and that changes everything. Every generation needs their own encounter with God. We can't live off our parents' faith. Or our parents' fire. Every generation must encounter God for themselves. When we stand before God at the end of the age, God isn't going to ask us whether our parents were born again. He's going to ask us if we know Jesus and have surrendered our life to him. David Pierce was saying how they are losing a whole generation in the United States. And generally, that is because that generation haven't had that encounter with Jesus Christ for them same, for themselves. I mean, it's great that our kids are brought up in Christian homes. It's fantastic that we can protect them from some of the things that are going on outside. But the reality is, our kids need to have that encounter with Jesus Christ for themselves. If they don't get it, they will move away when they move away. I was brought up in a Presbyterian family and went to Sunday school and all the things that we, we do. Dad was an elder in the church, St. Andrew's Pressy, just down the road, and Margan Ave, which Bet knows well. But the reality was that I knew a lot about God, but I didn't know God. So when I went to university, I just did all the things that everybody else did at university. Until uh, one, one evening, when I, when I was injured, I cried out to God. God healed me. And as he healed me, the Holy Spirit came on top of me. And for the first time in my life, I knew that God was real that he had a plan and purpose for my life, that he loved me. And that just changed everything. Suddenly the head knowledge became heart knowledge. Suddenly all those verses that I'd learned 
as a kid that was stored up in there somewhere in my being, suddenly they all came alive. And I just knew that I knew that I knew that God was real and that I had to live for him. A miraculous encounter at my point of need changed my life. And at that time, I knew Jesus was real. We can encounter God in his creation. Have you ever just been walking out outside and then suddenly you just have this epiphany? You just have this revelation of how big God is, how great thou art. You can encounter God through his word. Just reading the word of God, just reading the Bible. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will just cause those pages and those words to jump out out at you. And it's like God is speaking to you personally, even though the word was written for the world. You can encounter God through a still small voice. But interestingly enough, if you want to hear a still small voice, you actually have to be still. You have to be quiet. You have to stop. And many times, the Holy Spirit has just spoken to me. Spoken to me. And it's just done something, and it's stuck with me for years and years and years and years. And over the last 25 years, 26 years, I've told you many of those instances when God has spoken to my heart and just revealed himself afresh to me. We can encounter God as we feel his presence. Sometimes during the worship, if you will still yourself, you can just sense his presence and you can just know that he's speaking and surrounding you. As we walk in his wisdom, as we see his guiding hand opening and shutting doors, well, as, as I look back over my life, I just see the way that God just guided and just led. Once I had given my life to him, he just opened doors and shut other doors. I'm so thankful for the doors that were shut, and I'm so thankful for the doors that he opened. Even though sometimes... We thought the opposite. Sometimes I wanted doors open and I'm so pleased that God shut them. We can encounter God as we personally experience His supernatural power and provision. We can encounter God in the problems and the storms of life. Not, not all of life is mountaintop experiences. In fact, you can't have a mountain without having a valley. And not all of life is calm, plain sailing. And we encounter storms from time to time, but it's in the middle of the storm that a God encounter can change your life forever. In fact, when you're in the middle of the storm and you met Jesus, that will last with you longer. Generally, it'll last a lifetime. And I remember the really, really difficult times in my life where God came through for me and where I experienced him afresh. And that just added to my knowledge and my experience of Jesus. The Bible tells us that Jesus is God's revelation of himself to humanity. In fact, in Hebrews 1.3, it says, The Son 
That's Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. The error in most world religions is what do they think about Jesus? It's who do they say Jesus is? You would think that they would study what Jesus had to say about himself because he can't have been a prophet and a good man only because Jesus said of himself that he was God. Uh, John 10.30 says, I and the Father are one. When Jesus is standing in front of the elders, they asked him, are you then the Son of God? And Jesus replied, you are right in saying I am. He, he said that salvation could only be attained through him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So good works aren't going to get you to Father God. Only, only as you accept Jesus Christ into your heart and your life are you going to end up with a relationship with God. Do you know him? Or do you just know of him? He's the life changer. He gives hope to the hopeless. He gives success to the failure. He gives purity to the depraved and defiled. He gives peace to the troubled. He gives meaning to the disillusioned. So this morning, if you're hopeless, a failure, depraved, defiled, troubled, Jesus has got an answer for you. Jesus is the God of the second chance. In John 8, we read how a woman is caught, it says, caught in the very act of adultery. The mind boggles. But she was brought to Jesus, and the Lord demanded that she be stoned. But Jesus was and always is more interested in giving people a second chance. He's more interested in restoration than he is retribution. So he told her to go and sin no more. It's interesting that religion always drives hard at the law. And the law always condemns. Always condemns. The law is the God's standard, the standard which none of us can attain by ourselves. The law is given to show the standard that God requires if we are going to have a relationship with Him. But it's an impossible standard. We can never, ever meet the law. Every one of us have broken that law. The Bible says every one of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But Jesus comes in and makes a way. Luke 19, we read it, how a man called Zacchaeus, who was a businessman, who was known for his shady practices. He was a tax collector. He was the most despised of all the professions uh, to the Jews. He'd grown rich by ripping off the system and by stealing it basically off people who couldn't afford to line his pockets. 
He was despised. He was known as a sinner to the Jews. And yet the Bible tells us that this man, for some reason or other, wanted to see Jesus. And Jesus reaches out to him, asks him if they could have a meal together. And this man is absolutely blown away by God's love as a result of that. The heart of God is always to restore and not to reject. And that act of love and acceptance so impacted Zacchaeus that he responded by offering to put things right and restore four times the amount that he had cheated people of. And commenting on this particular episode, this particular encounter, Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. And every one of us here has been in that situation. Every one of us has been lost. Every one of us has been living life without Jesus Christ. But he came to seek and save that which was lost. And not only that, but he came to give us life more abundantly. God hasn't changed. He's the God of the second chance. Matthew 5, we read of a man dominated and possessed by demons. So demon-possessed was he that people who absolutely rejected him left him chained and naked to fend for himself in a graveyard. Talk about a social outcast. This man cut himself. He did everything he could. Jesus heals him. I hear some angels. Jesus heals him, gives him a second chance. And this man is so excited about what Jesus has done. He just wants to tell everybody about Jesus. And Jesus demonstrated his love for hurting downtrodden people by setting this man free. And today he continues to demonstrate that love in the same way. I think of all of my trips to India and of all of the miracles that I saw, the one that sticks clearer in my mind than anything else was in a little village north of Kamaredi, which is two hours' drive of Hyderabad, and we were doing an outdoor meeting. The, the Indians that we went with, they were just using our white skins to draw a crowd. They were better preachers than us. They were better ministers than us, but we didn't mind being used um, because of our white skins. And anyway... There was a great crowd there, and um, after, the, after we had preached, we started praying for people, and people were getting healed, and the Holy Spirit was moving. And on this particular night, a, a man brought his demon-possessed woman towards us. And when she came forward to be prayed for, the demon in her threw her to the ground. And she began slithering along the ground like a snake. And so we jumped at her and were going to pray for her. But as soon as the husband saw this uh, manifestation, he was just absolutely scared. And um, he, he grabbed her and dragged her out of the meeting. The next night, she came back. And again... As she came up for prayer, the demon threw her to the ground 
And she began slithering like a snake, but we were wiser this time. We jumped on her, grabbed her ankles, prayed for her, cast the demon out, and she was completely set free. Absolutely completely set free. The first thing she did when she got up was she threw herself at our feet and she began to kiss my feet. Not a good job, guys. But that was her that was her response. That was her response. She was just so overwhelmed at being set free. And we told her, no, hey, it wasn't us. It was the Holy Spirit. It was Jesus moving through us. About three days later, we had a baptismal service. And she was the first person to be baptized. And in those situations, baptism is where they cross the line. Baptism is where they say, I want to follow Jesus and only Jesus. You know, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he still delivers people who are bound by demons. And of course, in Mark chapter 5, 22, we read of a woman who had been sick for 12 years. She had been bleeding. And that made her unclean. That meant that she couldn't go to church. It meant that she couldn't have an association with other people. Uh, she couldn't do anything in, in public. But she decided that if she could just somehow come to Jesus, if she could just touch his robe, there was a possibility of her being healed. And so she pushes her way through the crowd. She reaches out, she touches Jesus' robe, and the power of God flows into her, and she's instantly healed. You know, encounters with Jesus result in healing and wholeness. They result in deliverance and of captives being set free. They bring peace and the presence of God into the storms of life. They change people's lives for eternity. So how can we have more encounters? How can we? Well, sometimes encounters just happen. God's heart is that all of us would have a vital living relationship with him. I don't think the demoniac of Gadarene did anything to initiate his encounter with Jesus, but I wonder if someone wasn't praying for him because he was somebody's son. And we can take that opportunity and we can stand in the gap on behalf of our family, of our brothers and sisters, on behalf of our parents, on behalf of our sons and daughters. And we've seen how God has been able to move powerfully as we've cried out to him for our kids. And you can do the same this morning. Certainly today, those of you who study missions will know that God is visiting the Muslim world. And he's visiting the Muslim world with dreams and visions. And there are whole mosques coming to Jesus as the imam has had a vision of Jesus in the night season. And he's realized that this good man is not just a good man, but he's actually the Lord of Lords. And it's a bit like Paul on the, uh, or Saul on the road to Damascus. He's going one way, he's persecuting the Christians, just like many good, faithful Muslims are doing today, and suddenly Jesus comes knocks him off his horse, gives him a revelation of who he is. And that's what's happening to Muslims 
all around the world. We need to keep on praying into that. Normally, though, an encounter, James 4.8 is the key. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. In the middle of your storm, cry out to God and see what God will do. Position yourself for God encounters. As I said before, you're never going to hear God's still small voice if your head's full with noise. Get yourself quiet. Get yourself into a place where you can seek his face. Uh, many, many, many here uh, have been fasting for the last two weeks. One week to go, guys. In fact, I'm going to break my um, fast uh, a few hours earlier, and I'm going to have lunch with the volunteers uh, on next Sunday. So that's when I'm going to finish the, the fast. But when you step out, when you show God that you're serious, Bible tells us that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. In the praise service, you can sit here complaining about the volume or lack of it of the music. You can sit here complaining about how we don't sing enough hymns. Uh, or you can come and say, God, I just want to meet with you. And you can press into God. Sometimes the sermons that come here are pretty awful. I'm talking about the sermons that other people bring. <laughs> but I guarantee that if you come with an attitude, God, I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you. Will you speak to me? If God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through me. If God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through a video. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you need. You just need to draw near in attitude. You just need to come wanting more of God. And if you do that, he will come into your situation. He will come into your circumstances. He will meet your needs. I'm here this morning because when I needed direction in my life, I determined to fast and pray. And during that time of fasting and praying, God visited me in a dream. I was asleep. <laughs> Which sometimes happens. But God sees our hearts. And he also knows our frailty. But if you have a heart, if you want to know God more, he wants you to know him more. Don't you think that's why he sent Jesus because he wants you to know him. When you wake up in the morning, be aware that God is there. During your personal quiet time, be aware that God wants to speak to you. He wants to draw close to you. During those stressful, problem-filled situations and circumstances, during the day, stop in the middle and say, God, I need your help. And expect that he will speak to you and show you what you need to do in that situation specifically. In the middle of your most pressing problem or storm, Jesus wants to come to you and show you how to get through it. He wants to take you to the other side. And when you're in church on Sunday morning, oh, make the most of it. 
Ask God when you come to show you somebody here who's lonely. Somebody here who's struggling to make ends meet. Ask God to move through you by the power of the Holy Spirit when you come on a Sunday morning because this isn't just an opportunity to be able to receive, as good as that is, but it's an opportunity to be able to give. It's an opportunity to be able to minister to other brothers and sisters. And we are from so many different nationalities. We're from so many different cultures. We're from so many different economic situations and circumstances. But together we make up the family of God, which we call Church Unlimited Whangarei. And we can be used to minister to one another if you'll come with the attitude Holy Spirit just flows through me this morning. In this season of visitation, in this era, as we heard in that prophetic word, press into God. Seek Him while He's near. Don't get sucked into a religious mindset, but set yourself to know Jesus better, and God will respond. Who is this man? Well, apart from everything else, he's the one who loves you so much that he died for you so that you could have a relationship with God, so that you could have peace, so that you could have your sin forgiven. He died so that we can know God. There was an old Negro preacher called Dr. S.M. Lockridge who preached a sermon on King Jesus. I want to just let you hear three minutes of this. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards 
the diligent and he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. Is limitless, his mercy is everlasting, his love never changes, his word is enough, his grace is sufficient, his reign is righteous, and his yoke is easy, and his burden is lighter. I wish I could describe him, for yet he's indescribable, he's incomprehensible, he's invincible, he's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. Get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Tyler couldn't find any fault in him. Terror couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Do you know, 